Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Well, it's good to see you this morning um, on this Palm Sunday. That's some weather out there. Holy cow. Thanks for braving it and uh, being here. I want you to know that a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night evening fellowship, I gave a talk on the state of the church of RPC. And we put that up on the website along with the PowerPoint slides that I used for it. It's about an hour long talk. So I cover uh, strategic initiatives, finances, our personnel. I mean, just all the ministry that is happening here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. If you're interested in that, know that it's on the website. You can go look uh, at it. Um, You can listen to it and hear about all the things that are happening. Well, this week we continue in our sermon series, The Outsiders. We're looking at Jesus's encounters with surprising people, with those who are considered to be outsiders in Israel. Last week, Lindsay gave a phenomenal sermon on probably one of the most challenging texts in all of the Bible. She just did a great job. Um, I'm sure of all the sermons that have been preached here in the recent future, it probably generated the most lunchtime conversation. Uh, I don't know if anybody else got in a fight in their family over uh, her sermon, but um, she'll be available later in the week for any therapy that needs to happen. But uh, let us look now at our, uh, our scripture today, which is the triumphal entry. As Jesus comes into the last week of his life, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophets saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great passage from Holy Scripture. We ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that we might hear, that we might answer this question, who is this, and how that answer can change our lives. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be right and still be wrong. I grew up with a guy by the name of Jeremy Offelt. Jeremy and I were about the same size, about the same weight, and we played a lot of the same sports, except for baseball. He played baseball and I did not because I am scared of the ball. 
But Jeremy was a phenomenal pitcher. He was a left-hander, was just a great, a great pitcher. But I always found him to be kind of cocky. And so me and a couple of my buddies, we, who didn't play baseball, we liked to kind of cut him down to size. So if he would pitch a winning game, we'd say, oh yeah, you, you pitched a fine game, but it wasn't that you were so good. It was the, the other team was so bad. Or when the pro scouts came to watch him, we would say, yeah, sure, the pro scouts came to watch you pitch, but the pro scouts have to watch everyone. And we love to say this, we're, we're from Spokane, Washington. You, you may be good, but you're just a, a big fish in a small pond. When you get into the, the bigger pond of other players, you're not gonna be that good. Well, it ended up that I was right. He was a big fish in a small pond, but I was wrong about the bigger pond part. You can still be wrong even when you're right. I don't know if any of you have ever um, gotten in an argument with your spouse and you may be right, but by the end of the argument, you're wrong. Or you can know all the right notes to a song, but if you can't play them at the right time in the right order, the song will be wrong. It's like the great Walker Percy, the Southern novelist liked used to say, you can get straight A's in school and still flunk life. You can be right and still be wrong. And in this story, we see the crowd being right and still being wrong. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the city is in turmoil. The Greek word for turmoil here is where we get the word seismic, where we get earthquake. It's in turmoil. It's disrupted. And Jesus is entering it. And the crowds begin to ask themselves the most important question you can ever ask. Who is this? Who is this? How you answer that question will change everything else. As they come, as he walks into Jerusalem on this donkey with this colt, the crowds declare, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, in Galilee. They're right. He is a prophet, but wrong about the bigger questions, about his greater identity. See, they're right about his past, but wrong about his future. Jesus is on the way going into Jerusalem, and he's on a collision course with the temple. Now, the temple is more than just a religious place. It was the intersection for the Israelite people of religion, politics, economics, everything intersected there. And Jesus is on a collision course with it. One commentator once told me, we could really call the temple the first national bank of the Jews. That gives a sense of the role it played in that community. And Jesus is a prophet and he's going to confront the religious establishment, the Pharisees, the chief priests. Jesus is a prophet going to confront the Roman imperial occupiers. Jesus is a prophet going to confront the powers of sin and death itself. Is he a prophet? Yes, but he's something much greater. Who is this? So this morning I have two questions I'd like to address. First is how is Jesus more than a prophet? And secondly, what difference does it make? So first, 
How is Jesus more than a prophet? This scene of Jesus walking into Jerusalem, this triumphal entry is what we might call a living parable. It's a story that we have to read very closely. We have to pay attention to because in the details of the story, there's a deeper meaning. And if we don't pay attention, we'll miss out on it. This is what, uh, and Matthew includes what the kids now call Easter eggs. Easter eggs. So an Easter egg, for example, is like in the, uh, that Disney movie, Tangled. Uh, Rapunzel, if you pay attention in the bedroom, the wardrobe there, is the same wardrobe from Beauty and the Beast. That is an Easter egg. And you'll find in movies and computer uh, programs and video games, there are Easter eggs waiting for you to find. This Easter eggs have an interesting history. In 1979, there was a guy working for Atari that designed a video game called Adventure. It was for the 2600 game console. And this guy's name was William Babinet. And at the time, Atari didn't give any credit to its programmers. And William didn't like that fact. So embedded in the computer code, he included an Easter egg so that when you moved your cursor to a certain gray spot on the screen, across the screen would flash, created by William Babinet. <laughs> Needless to say, the Atari executives were not happy about this fact, but luckily William Babinet transitioned jobs out of Atari before they found it. And when they, they found it, they were just infuriated, but it would cost too much money to take it out. But the Atari executives discovered something interesting. People liked searching for the Easter eggs. And one insightful uh, executive said, you know what? We should encourage our programmers to include more Easter eggs. And so that's what we see in movies, music, program, uh, video games. We see Easter eggs to search for. And this is an ancient practice. Matthew includes a few Easter eggs. So Jesus tells his disciples, go and get a donkey and a colt for me to ride into Jerusalem on. Now this is more than um, him just telling these two disciples to commit grand, grand theft auto. Okay. He's, he's, there's a reason he tells these disciples to get a donkey and a colt. And we know this because immediately after Jesus says this, Matthew, as the writer, as the storyteller, steps back and he makes a narrator or storyteller's comment. He says this in verse four, this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew here wants to highlight why Jesus rides in on a colt and a donkey. He draws from two prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah and Zechariah. He's saying that Jesus is a prophet in this great Israelite tradition of prophets, but he's going to be a new kind of prophet. And he rides a donkey and he rides a colt. See, who is he? See, he's your king. You would have known that donkeys were animals used in coronations. When you, a king was going to be enthroned, he would ride a donkey in as he took power. Then why the colt? Well, the colt is kind of a, the inverse where the donkey is this regal, um, this, this animal that points to power. The colt is a humble animal. And it's that this king is unlike any other king we've ever met. This king is a humble king. This is the surprise. 
Jesus is a different kind of king than we would have expected. What are kings usually like? Prideful and powerful. They're strong and brash. They try to appear authoritative and self-assured. And here comes Jesus riding on a donkey with a colt. He comes in as the humble king. In the history, in the history of religion in the world, I think this is an unprecedented move that we see God come in the flesh as a humble king. The great Swiss theologian Karl Barth says this, what marks out the Christian God above all false gods is that they are not capable and ready for this, that is to be humble. In their otherworldliness and supernaturalness and otherness, these false gods are a reflection of human pride, which will not bend, which will not stoop to that which is beneath it. But God is not proud. In his high majesty, he is humble. It is in this high humility that God speaks and acts as the God who reconciles the world to himself. In Jesus, we see God's high humility. God doesn't need to stay far off, doesn't need to be powerful, but it shows high humility. You see, true Christian power is the parent who doesn't stand far off, but who can get low on a child's level. That is true Christian power. And that's what we see in Jesus. God does not stand far off, but enters into human reality in his high humility as a humble king. Rarely do I ever see um, high humiliated, uh, revered or lifted up in our culture. We think, you know, powerful and strong, that's true power. That's too true strength. The more you can uh, demand, the more you can lift, all of this. But last, a couple weeks ago, I heard um, this sports commentator, Will Kane, take a, he had a hot take on who the, the best basketball player in the NBA is this year. And so there's all this questions and discussion about who's going to be the MVP. Some people say it's, it should be Steph Curry. He's the greatest shooter. You know, he's, his ball handling skills are amazing. Others say it's James Harden. Scores 36 points a game. No one can stop him. Others say it's the Giannis with the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, a seven-footer that's so agile and nimble, can dunk on anybody. Incredible. And Will Kane says, I don't agree. And he says, I think it should be Kevin Durant. And then he explains why. He says, because Kevin could be on his own team and he could be the number one player, the most dominant player on his team. But he has to play with the Golden State Warriors and he plays with other great players. So he has to reduce himself. He has to constrain his abilities. He has to become less so the team can become more. Friends, that's high humility. That's what we see in Jesus Christ, that God becomes less for our sake. Comes less. He, his high humility is for us. This is one reason I think Jesus goes around interacting and encountering all of these outsiders of Israel. He goes to meet the outsiders, the Pharisees, the tax collectors, and the sinners he eats with. Last week, that Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman, Jesus interacts with. I think he goes to the outsiders because it's the outsiders who know that they will only enter the kingdom of God if it's by God's grace. So let me, let me tell you about my friend, Jeremy. Jer Jeremy's an interesting guy. 
He was drafted in 1997 by the Kansas City Royals, spent a few years in the minor leagues. Eventually, he makes it to the big leagues. He plays for the Kansas City Royals, the Colorado Rockies, and San Francisco Giants for 13 seasons. In 2014, game seven of the World Series, he gets called in and eventually gets the win and wins the World Series. He would go on to win several other World Series. He had three World Series rings. When he would come through town playing for the Giants sometimes and they would be playing the Braves, we'd get together for coffee. And I would remember all of the way I'd felt about him back then. And I'd be sitting across from him and just thinking, this little weasel from Spokane, I can't believe this. And he has always been a reminder to me of the surprises God has in store for us. The way that God can work in mysterious ways, that God wants to surprise us. See, he went on to um, help with relief, uh, child poverty, fought human trafficking, used God's grace in his life to serve and help others. But it became a, a window in that how God wants to surprise us. That is, as he comes in on a donkey into Jerusalem, the crowds think they know who he is. The people think they know who he is. Who is this? Oh, he's just a prophet. Well, you're right. But by Sunday... Next week, you're going to find out how wrong you are. You, we think we know who God is, but God wants to explode our assumptions. So let us remember that we serve and worship and believe and trust in a God of surprises. God who wants to meet us. God wants to surprise us. God wants to do more than we can hope or imagine. So don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the outsiders. Because the one they see, that, who they think they know, walking into Jerusalem, is someone so much greater than they can imagine. And he's that for us too. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are a God of surprises. Lord, we thank you how you desire to surprise us May we never write ourselves off, write our friends and family, write off those outsiders. You desire to meet us, to know us because of your good news and the high humility of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.